Hey, this is Emma Kate Nidberry, and on this episode of Triathlete Live, we chat with Lindsay Corbin. Lindsay is a multiple Ironman and 70.3 champion who is a popular pro on the racing scene. This audio is from our live show, so you'll hear me asking Lindsay questions that came in from our live Facebook audience. We hold our triathlete live shows every month, and they're a great opportunity for you to ask pros, coaches, and experts any questions you may have. If you'd like to participate, be sure to keep an eye on our social channels for details of our next guest. Okay, here's our live chat with Lindsay Corbin. Hello, and welcome to Triathlete Live here in Boulder, Colorado. My name is Emma Kate Berry, your host and managing editor here at Triathlete Magazine. And on today's show, we are joined by the one for Lindsay Corbin. Lindsay, welcome. How's it going over there? <laughs> How are we doing? Good, good. So you're at home in Bend, Oregon, correct? Yep, I'm home at Bend. I've been here <laughs> since March. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who don't know Lindsay, she is a professional Ironman uh, athlete who has how many? Eight Ironman titles to her name and uh, five 70.3 titles to her name. She has been racing since 2004. Is that right, Lindsay? Six, 2006. 2006, yeah. So she is a well-known and familiar face on the pro scene and popular with age groupers and pros alike. And perhaps her greatest claim to fame now is she is the cover girl of our latest uh, triathlete magazine, our September-October issue, now out now on newsstands. And uh, yeah, that's Lindsay riding in Wisconsin. But yeah, Lindsay, we are so pleased that you could join us today. Thank you for taking time out. How's your day going? It's going pretty good. Standard day, groundhog day, it feels like around here. But um, yeah, doing well, all things considered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we kind of got a little sneak peek into what your normal day looks like when you did our, you were our Instagram takeover yesterday. So we got to see you training, cooking, walking the dog, watering the garden, all those cool things. <laughs> How was that? Yeah, you know, days just kind of are on repeat around here. I'm definitely not training for anything at the minute. So it's just, yeah, almost like living in off season, but not fully off season. So just trying to roll with the punches and find that happy medium of like, not training too specific, but not just taking the whole summer off either. So on one hand, it's been like kind of a blessing because I haven't had a free summer in 15 years. Um, so it's like the first summer where I can go paddle boarding or camping and hiking and like not think twice about like how that's going to impact my training. But deep down, I think in my soul, I love triathlon and I really miss the like structure and the routine. And um, yeah, you know, every athlete approaches it differently, but how I've approached it maybe is a bit more laid back. And so, like I said, I've had the summer of freedom, but I think deep down inside, I miss, you know, what drives me and, you know, me as a person, which is being an athlete. So, right. But you have just recently signed up for our Hawaii from home challenge, right? Yes, I will be doing the Hawaii from home. I, I'm not even 100% how I'm going to do it, but it's going to go down. So that actually will be kind of good motivation for me because I literally have been training for nothing. Like none of the virtual races, I've just been training for life is what I call it. So Hawaii from home is going to get my butt in gear. <laughs> yes. Woohoo. Okay. So for those of you who aren't familiar with our Hawaii from home challenge or if you haven't heard about it yet, it's a virtual challenge that will take place over the week of October the 5th to the 11th. You have one week to cover the uh, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and 26.2 mile run that you would ordinarily cover in an Ironman uh, distance triathlon. And you can do it in one day, you can do it over seven days, uh, but yes, so Lin we have a few pros who've already signed up, uh, Lindsay being one of them. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. You can do it individually. You can do it as a team. So uh, yeah, and there's some very cool swag too and lots of prizes. So yeah, so Lindsay's going to be doing that. Um, but yeah, we've you got a ton the whole of... seven days. You're taking the whole seven days. Okay. Okay. You're not going to do it in one. Not going to do it in one morning like a... No, no yawn for Dino over here. Fair enough. Also, you won't be surprised to hear, Lindsay, that we have had a ton of questions uh, come in via social for you. But we do want to remind everybody watching at home that this is a live show. Lindsay's here for the next hour. She has a ton of racing and training experience. So hit her up with all the questions that you can think of. And we'll put as many of them to her as possible. But um, we, got, we got a pretty uh, a nice question that I thought was going to be a good opener. And this is, who is Lindsay? Oh, wow. Yeah, so we're going in. <laughs> we're starting. 
That's a fully loaded question. Um, <laughs> my name is Lindsay Corbin. I'm a professional triathlete. I live in Bend, Oregon, in the USA. Um, I am married to my husband, Chris Corbin, and I have a golden retriever, Chimmy. I focus on Ironman racing. So um, I do 70.3s, but probably my heartstrings are more tugged towards the longer distance Ironman events. Um, I have been competing as a professional since 2006, and I have done Ironman Hawaii all for, well, I've gone every year since 2006 as a professional, so that's pretty cool. And what else? Um, I love the mountains. I love being outside. I enjoy cooking. I studied exercise science in college, so I'm super inspired by the human body and pushing our limits and seeing what we're capable of and um, sport nutrition. Very cool. Yeah. That's a very good, yeah, that's, that's a very good summary. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about Shimmy, your dog, because uh, she just walked just a, like a minute before we came on camera, she, before we went live, she came and just sat down right next to you. So yeah, maybe we'll lure her back on camera, but yeah. I was told no dogs in the interview, so we had to put her away for a little bit, but maybe we oh. can bring her out. If we get enough requests, <laughs> maybe she'll make an appearance. But yeah, we have um, a golden retriever and she's named Shimmy. And actually I raced the Pucone 70.3 in Chile. Um, I raced it three or four times. And one year after the race, we went to Argentina after. And my husband is not a triathlete, but he loves fly fishing. And so we went fly fishing on the Chimuen River in Argentina and had just an amazing day of fishing. And we went out to dinner and had this amazing Argentine steak dinner. and red wine and we finished it was just like one of the best days ever and my husband slammed the empty wine bottle down on the table and he said our next dog is going to be named Chimuen so um that was like 10 years ago so that was long before we got her but um yeah I actually one other story I was tapering for Kona uh four years ago and I had a lot of time on my hands and I started searching for golden retrievers online while sitting in Kona with my feet up, avoiding all the masses. So <laughs> you can get in trouble if you have too much time on your hands and you're a triathlete. And that's basically when I found her. And then we came home from Kona and picked her up. So she's Aww. almost four. She's four. Aww. Yes. Yeah, I think we will have to we'll have to see if there's enough requests for her appearance, then I'm sure we can you can lure her on screen. But Okay, we've got the first question, live question in for you, for you from Angela, who wants to know, what do you recommend for a beginner to start with when it comes to training and racing? Yeah, you know, my, when I got started with the sport, I'm going to give the same advice that I used, and that was just to find a group. Um, I was a college student at the University of Montana, and I joined the club team, and there's just so much to learn with triathlon, and training with others, you can just be a sponge and get all sorts of advice and information and motivation and just learning from other people. And um, for me, just, it was a ton of fun. And that was why I got into it was it was a social activity. Um, but yeah, I mean, particularly, I didn't know to swim until I was in my 20s. And so having the group to swim with and group workouts and kind of learning from that aspect. But definitely my number one advice when people are just getting into the sport is to find a group just to train with, to learn with, to have fun with, and just to experience all of it with um, is wonderful. And even now as a veteran, having that group aspect is huge. So still highly recommend. <laughs> Very cool. And how many, we had another question in from social, how many hours do you spend training each week? Well, I guess that might vary now compared to a normal year, right? Yeah, there's pre-COVID and then there's COVID training. So um, generally though, I try to do, um, I am more of a consistency person over time versus um, like crazy mileage. So I'd rather hit like X number of weeks at X number of mileage. So it's a pretty basic formula, but I pretty much try to swim six times a week, bike six times a week and run six times a week and then strength train as well. And, you know, right now it still is kind of the same formula, but those hours are just a lot shorter than normal. But um, I would say I'm in the like 25 to 35 hour. I, I am not like crazy 40 hour, 40 plus. I mean, I think it definitely adds up, but um, I would say probably I average closer in like the 25 to 30. And if we're getting ready for an Ironman, maybe 
30 to 35, but that would definitely be heavier on the bike mileage. But um, yeah, I'm all about consistency. I didn't used to be though. I used to be the like crazy weekend warrior, huge weeks and then get injured and burn out. So it takes, it <laughs> takes time to figure that bit out though. Like yeah. that took me a long time to work that out. Yeah. How much of your weekly mileage is easy aerobic versus high intensity? Uh, yes. Yeah, so again, that depends a lot on where we're at in the season. Like it fluctuates. Like I have a coach, um, we worked together since 2013. And so, yeah, a lot of that varies. Um, right now, tons of aerobic mileage, like without a race on the schedule, um, without super specific training. Like I haven't been doing a lot of intensity and if any intensity that I'm doing currently, it's more just to like break up the sessions and the monotony of it, um, or letting dictate, uh, letting terrain dictate the intensity. But generally, if this is not in the middle of a pandemic and we're getting ready for a race, you know, I'll do probably two bike rides a week of the six will have like really specific intensity. Um, two of them will be like super easy, ridiculous, like not even breaking the sweat. And then two of them will be those like stronger aerobic rides yeah. and then similar with the running as well. And then the swimming, you can push the intensity a lot. I think just the risk for injury is a lot less. Um, yeah. so I would say swimming probably four of the six or five of the six I'm doing, like a master swim group where some sort of intensity is in there. So, um, yeah. And I think I read this somewhere and I correct me if I'm wrong, but you were one of the early adopters or you've, you've been, uh, like you're a very big fan of like polarized training. So like easy is very easy. Hard is hard. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about polarized training and what that means for you, what that looks like for you and the importance of it. Yeah, so I actually didn't use a heart rate monitor or many metrics at all in the first part of my career. And I had some amazing results, like right out of the gates, I was fifth at Kona. Um, but I also had some epic injuries and burnouts and sickness. And so, yeah, I started working with um, Matt Dixon around the same time as you. And Matt was sort of the first person to introduce me to this concept of like, you know, have the courage to make your easy days really easy. And then, you know, he would blast us with the intensity. But my um, problem when I worked with Matt was we had no way to measure that. Like I wasn't using a heart rate monitor and it was always just kind of off pace. So I think um, the concept was there, but I wasn't actually implementing it. And then when I started working with Jesse Kropelnicki, he slapped a heart rate monitor on me and <laughs> immediately there was like parameters of like your heart rate's not allowed to get over 120 on your easy days. And all of a sudden it was like, whoa, okay, here's truly what easy means. Yeah. And um, then again, the hard stuff you would prescribe, you know, maybe there wouldn't be a heart rate metric. It would be like, let's see how high we can get it. Um, so the heart rate, I would say, has been like a huge factor in helping me learn to take easy, easy and the hard, hard. And um, yeah, just implementing that. And it's almost um, harder for me to go easy than it is to go hard. Like I can psych up for the hard days, no problem. And I would say that actually has been a hard part with COVID is like having to take a step back. Um, I know like for me as an athlete, I'm all or nothing. So yeah, the easy stuff is, is pretty hard for me to hit, which is why the heart rate monitor is a great, like it's almost a leash for me. Like, okay. Yeah you're forced to go easy but um through implementing like the easy and the hard i feel like my high end has gotten a lot higher and my injury um my rate of injuries and burnout has gone a lot farther down so yeah a wiser more mature lindsay of a, as an athlete <laughs> we are okay and, and next question which leads quite nicely from that the favorite session your favorite session for each discipline Oh, um, well, maybe now and pre pre COVID, you know, normal, normal times. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, anything where I'm swimming with a group in the pool, like that's going to be my favorite session just because it's a chance to like be competitive and push yourself and kind of take your mind off of what you're doing. Um, I am not, I am definitely an endurance aerobic athlete. So like I would not be good at the 400 meter dash, like the sprinting, the really high end, that's, that's a big challenge for me. And with that though, the aerobic stuff comes super easy. So um, yeah, like if we're doing sprints in the pool, that would probably be my least favorite workout. 
more if we're doing like threshold 400s or any sort of like long endurance set. I always am like building throughout the set and getting stronger as we go. And so that's not like a specific swim session, but yeah, the more like aerobic threshold is probably my jam in the pool. And for biking, um, I live in the mountains and I love the mountains. So like a long aerobic training day when I get to like seven hours, go ride in the mountains, see how many feet you can climb. Um, yeah, I'm an adventurer at heart. So that's definitely kind of what my favorite bike sessions are. Um, and, but that's definitely not what I need as an athlete. What I need as an athlete <laughs> are the high end, like five by five minutes all out. So, <laughs> but I get more excited for the, like, go get lost in the woods and then let me know how it goes kind of deal. And then running, um, I love just the classic Sunday build run, which, um, is kind of a staple as we're getting ready for an Ironman. Again, a lot of it's based off heart rate. So as you get more fit, your paces get faster. And um, you, you kind of have to like play the poker game of like if you play your cards too early and blow up, you're definitely going to pay for it. Um, but yeah, sometimes we'll do a workout where you just try to improve every mile. So you'll start out an eight minute mile, you'll cut down to like 745, 730, 715, and then see how, how much you can cut down and then how long you can hold it. Um, so yeah, I definitely like the, um, and that's like a classic build run that would start, you know, pretty easy and then moves to like a goal open marathon pace where you're definitely feeling it by the end. So yeah. That sounds like a very cool workout. Yeah. Okay. What about your craziest COVID adventures or workouts? What have they, what have they looked like? Yeah. So I haven't done anything that crazy. I would say I have had the opportunity, which I was talking to you about beforehand, to do a bit more trail running. Normally, I'm so specific with my training and so like intense of like, I have to hit this pace and I have to do this and we're getting ready for a race. I don't want to fall down or anything like that. So my um, training is usually pretty specific, but this year we've approached it as more of a laid back opportunity. So I've gotten to do a lot more of the like true mountain running. And so it's not that crazy but um yeah you know like you'll go run trails in the mountains and you're actually hiking half of it you aren't even running the whole time so my friend and i went out for what we thought was like we're gonna go run this mountain here in bend and we like we weren't even three miles into it and we were slowed to like a power hike <laughs> which is just funny because in our heads we were like oh we're just gonna go on like this 15 mile run and really we were power hiking and wishing we had poles so i would say some of the mountain stuff i've done has been kind of the most adventuresome and yeah it's just it has definitely brought me back to my roots of like why i got into triathlon is um, it's just a sense of freedom. I think when you're in the wilderness and a bit of like an unknown of like, what's the weather going to do? And it's definitely all new stuff to me. So it's like a new stimulus of like, what's this terrain? And it also beats the crap out of you. <laughs> so yeah, I, I've been more sore after a couple of those mountain runs than any race or Ironman I've ever done. And it just literally buckles you to your legs and you're like, I thought I was a pretty fit individual until I decided to like sprint down a mountain and it was a terrible idea. So, um, yeah, that's been pretty fun, but I, yeah, I haven't done anything like I haven't done any Everesting or 10 hours on the trainer or anything like I've been pretty low key, I would say. That sounds quite <laughs> smart to me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it is or not. Like that's kind of my thing is like, I don't know if it's, it'll be interesting to see like how everyone's different philosophy and way they're approaching this is going to pay off. Like not sure. even the first races, but even like, I think a year from now or a year and a half from now, I think we're really going to see the effects. So I don't know if I've done it the right way or not, but it's been a fun summer. So that's good. <laughs> that's probably the most important thing. A happy yeah. athlete is a fast athlete, right? <laughs> so we've got somebody called Corbin who wants to know, my race got canceled this year and I've struggled to stay motivated. What keeps you, what has kept you motivated this year? Yeah, you know, I think initially I just had to be like, all right. I mean, I initially I thought there would be racing at some point this year. And then yeah. finally, about three weeks ago, I just was like, you're not racing this year, period. But in the back of my head, I think the whole year I've thought like, ah, oh, you're probably not going to race. But initially when all this started to go down, I was like, as someone that's always used races to motivate me and as someone that's a competitive athlete and the thought of winning like Ironman Canada or Ironman Wisconsin or 
you know, going for top five in Kona, like that's what's gotten me out of my, out of bed each day. And that's what's driven, you know, when you've been in a session and you have a choice of like pushing or backing off, it's like, okay, that's the carrot that's motivated me. And so when that carrot was taken away, it was like, let's get back to like why you even got into triathlon. Because when you got into triathlon, it wasn't like you decided you were going to do a triathlon. And then all of a sudden the next day you woke up and were like, I'm going to win an Ironman. <laughs> so initially I think what got me into triathlon was this sense of adventure and this huge unknown. And so I actually sat down and wrote down a list of like what I loved about triathlon outside of racing and sort of what got me into it in the first place, because I've been doing it for so long. And a lot of things that kept coming up for me were this, these um, feelings of adventure, this feeling of unknown, which kind of goes back to the trail run I was talking about just a few minutes ago. And yeah. so motivation for me, maybe I'm not doing the threshold workouts that normally would motivate me, but I am sort of refreshing my soul and doing something that motivates me in another way. And I think uh, it's weird because you're like, oh, I'm not an athlete because I'm not, I feel like I'm not an athlete or a competitor because I'm not racing, but it's like, you're still an athlete, whether the races are there or not, you're still a competitor. If, you know, like I can't not go for the QOM on the trail runs that I've been doing, you know, like I just can't help myself. So that yeah. inner seed is like always going to be within me till the grave, I think. And so a long way of saying like, how do I stay motivated is I guess I've looked for alternative ways and that's been kind of healthy for me to expand like, you know, it's not all about winning Ironmans and especially like that's going to go away at some point. And so I think just setting small goals that are within the parameters of COVID that are maybe different than normal. Um, I've been doing a lot more strength training than normal. And so like I've set some strength goals of like things that I want to try to do at the home gym. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I've also set other goals, you know, that are outside of sport, but still satisfy that itch of like having a to-do list and going through it and checking the boxes and staying motivated in that way. So, um, yeah, finding, I guess, other ways to stay motivated has been my motivation getting creative. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And you mentioned outside of sport. So that's uh, that's a nice segue into the next question talking about balance and uh, Jenna from Jenna wants to know you've been married for a while and your husband is not a triathlete. How do you keep your marriage so strong? I honestly think that we aren't both triathletes is why we've been married so long. Because if I had to be married to myself, <laughs> I don't know how I'd be able to deal. Because at 5 p.m., we'd both be hangry and we'd have no spandex to train in the next day. And yeah, I just, um, I met Chris before I even was doing triathlon. I was um, running in college. And so, um, he knew me as like a competitor, but I actually borrowed Chris's bike to do my first triathlon. Cool. And he was kind of the one that like encouraged me to get into it. So I feel fortunate that Chris knew me before triathlon. He knows me during triathlon and he's definitely going to know me after triathlon. But I thankfully think like one of the great things Chris brings to the table is he is a constantly encouraging that balance because like I said, I have this all or nothing personality. And I feel like if Chris wasn't in the picture, it would be like triathlon, eat, breathe, sleep. Like I can't stop, won't stop. And, um, at the end of the day, like Chris loves triathlon and he loves me, but he doesn't like, it's not a top priority for him. So at dinner each night, he doesn't really want to sit there and talk about how many Watts I pushed on the bike or like, you know, he doesn't even know, he doesn't even like follow that many triathletes on Instagram. So he doesn't even know like what's going on. So I think that he helps bring a bit more of that balance to my life. And um, yeah, it's, it's a hard, it's like a push and a pull, I guess. And I feel fortunate that I found a great partner that, yeah, has been supportive of me because I feel like it's a very selfish endeavor at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also been like good this summer, like this is a bit of like couples counseling, but it's been a good this summer to like invest in my relationship with Chris and do some things with Chris that like, I mean, he's even said a couple times this summer, I feel like I've got my 20 year old girlfriend back. <laughs> like I've slept in the dirt the last seven weekends in a row. We've gone camping and slept in some dirt or hammock. And yeah, it's been good just to be like, 
for all the sacrifices Chris has given me, it's time for me to like repay those favors now because that opportunity is here. And I've already told him like, you know, next year it's not going to be like, but don't get too excited. I'm not going to be sleeping in a hammock with you on a campsite every week. No, and I did the hammock sleep once and I'm, I'm not convinced. He's like, it's so comfortable and I am a sleep princess. And yeah, I did, we went bike packing and I was like, what are we going to sleep in? And he's like, we either like get to bring this food or the tent you have to pick. And I was like, well, the food's going. So we slept in hammocks. And that's like the one bit of bike packing that I wasn't super into because it like tacoed by the end of the night and I did not get my princess sleep. So <laughs> princess yeah. sleep. Oh, another question we had in from social last week was how did you balance life before becoming a pro and how has that changed? Yeah, so um, I actually turned pro pretty fast, which is a good story. I'm going to share that. But um, I was studying exercise physiology in college, and a bunch of people in the exercise phys lab and on the club triathlon team I was a part of were doing the Ironman in Coeur d'Alene. And I didn't know much about it at all. It was very new. Like I'd done a sprint try, basically, an Olympic try. And then all my friends are like, we're doing this Ironman in Coeur d'Alene. You're doing it. So I did a half Ironman. And then I like, but I basically did it because I'd signed up for Ironman Coeur d'Alene, but I didn't know how to swim at all. Um, you know, I like could swim in the lake or whatever, but um, I'd never worn goggles. I'd never worn like the one piece. I'd never done a flip turn. I didn't know a pace clock, none of that. And so my biggest fear of Ironman Coeur d'Alene wasn't like the bike or the run. It was the swim and the mass start because in 2006, they did these mass starts with 2,000 to 3,000 people all at once. And I just remember seeing all the iconic pictures of like everyone starting at once. And I was so deathly afraid of the mass start. And as we were training to get ready for Ironman Coeur d'Alene, I did um, wildflower that year leading up to it. And I won the amateur division and set the amateur course record. And Coeur d'Alene was basically a month or five weeks later. And uh, two weeks before the race, my friends were joking with me and they were like, you know, if you get your pro card, you don't have to do the mass swim start. And they kind of were like, ha, ha, hawing with me. And I went home and was like, I'm 100% applying for my pro card. So I like sent it in that night to USAT. And then 24 hours later, I was a professional triathlete. Um, and I was getting ready to do my first Ironman. And I emailed Heather Fuhr and she switched my entry from the age group category to the pro category. And I got the head start in the swim and it was so good. <laughs> wow, I did not know that story. Yes. Good so, so good and it was um my only goal this is like a side I'm not even like answering the question but my only goal for the race was to not walk on the run like I was also really afraid of like if I start walking on this marathon it's game over and it ended up being like a crazy hot day in Coeur d'Alene I think over 100 and I survived the swim I got out in like 30th place not that high up at all and then kind of did okay on the bike and basically on the run, it was like, don't walk, don't walk, don't walk. And I ran and all these women started dropping out because of the heat. And all I did was like, you can't walk. And I ended up running my way to a Kona slot. So then the rest was history. So I went to Kona as a pro that year. So as far as like the life balance goes, like I never really experienced that much of the age group racing. And um, I went to Kona that year in 2006 and then I wasn't really sure I was finished with school and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I basically said to Chris, you just give me one year to like go all in on being a pro or back to this all or nothing personality. And I was like, give me one year of going all in being a pro. And if I don't make a single paycheck, like then I'll either go back to college or find a real job. And he was like, okay. And so 2007, I went all in. And then in 2008 was the year I was fifth at Kona. And then it kind of, the rest was history. So yeah. um, as far as like balancing it, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm the best, again, this like all or nothing personality. And like, for sure, early on in my career, I was all in like, eat, breathe, sleep. Like, thankfully, Chris survived that phase of Lindsay. And I would say I'm actually have a bit more balanced approach now than I did in my early 20s. For sure, sure. Um, okay, so we're approaching halfway, people. So don't forget to submit your questions. Lindsay's being very candid, very honest. Uh, so please, yeah, keep them coming. Don't be shy. She has lots of knowledge in, that, in her brain and lots of experience. So uh, yeah, you have definitely been around for a long time. 
And one of the questions we had for you was, what motivates you to continue for as long as you have? And how, how do you change your goals over time? Yeah, I think what still motivates me is um, I still think I have my best performances. What motivates me as a professional athlete is that I think I still have my best performances to go. Like I keep improving as an athlete year after year. And, you know, what's so addicting about Ironman racing, any endurance event, not even Ironman racing, is that like you go through the event and it's a super long day and you get finished and you think like, oh, if I would have done just like a few things different, I could have been, you know, a minute in the swim, three minutes on the bike, five or 10 minutes on the run. And that's like 15 minutes faster. And in Kona, that's like four or five places up the road. Or, you know, like, I think that that's the addicting or the allure of it. And so it's, I keep improving as an athlete. And I think that that's still what drives me. And um, I always, and just as like a person in general, whether it's sport or other areas of my life, I'm very interested in this concept of like seeing what you're capable of and testing your personal limits. And so I think that that is kind of what drives me. And my training has changed for sure as we go. And even like from last year to this year with COVID, but you can still apply those processes and this, that, those ideas of like, what are you capable of? And so whether it's like, if you're lifting weights at the gym, like, well, what, like how much can I deadlift? Like how much can I bench? you know, how many pull-ups can I do? Like the concept is still there. Or if you're climbing a mountain, like how fast can I get to the summit? And so I think that that is what still motivates me as an athlete. And then also like being a triathlete, you swim, you bike, you run, you lift. Um, you can do so many different things. So you never really get burnout. And when you do, you're like, all right, I'm not going to swim for a while. We're going to bike. <laughs> so I think just the fact that you're always kind of changing um, for me personally is what has kept me motivated. It's sure. still doing it. <laughs> and I still have some bucket list races I need to hit. Oh, yeah. So tell us about some bucket list races. <laughs> I want to get back. Well, of course, every race I want to do is not in the United States. So <laughs> we're going to have to, like, add a few more years to my career than I had initially planned. But I have raced in Europe a few times and have absolutely loved it. So there's a few races in Europe. This year, I really, in my head, wanted to do Ironman France and Nice. Mm -hmm. So that's been on my bucket list, but that obviously did not happen this year. And so I would love to do Nice. I would love to do one of the big um, Ironmans in Germany, whether it's Frankfurt or Challenge Rock. Um, and there's a couple in the United States that I still want to do too. So um, yeah. And then I also like longer term want to do some trail running and maybe some gravel racing. More, I'm more keen on the trail running stuff though. It looks, it's pretty fun. <laughs> You've got a long list there. I like yeah. it. Okay, so you've won, you said you've won eight Ironman titles and five 70.3s. Which of those is your most memorable? Oh, I mean, the first one you're never going to forget. My first one I won in Coeur d'Alene, not the first time I raced there as a pro, <laughs> but um, I went back a few, few years later and I won that race um, and I had a very good battle with my good friend and training partner at the time, Meredith Kessler. And we like went back and forth all day and I won and Meredith was second. And um, yeah, so that was just a super memorable day. I would say um, my first Ironman win, you know, they're all special. The last two years I've won Ironman Wisconsin and she's on the cover of the magazine. There you go. <laughs> Lindsay on the, out on the bike course. Yes. But um, both times I've raced there, it's been such a fun experience. Like, low stress, so much fun, just like in my element all day. So those have been really special for me too. Yeah. And then I won in Austria and set the American record. That was, a, I'm just going to like keep going through all of them. There's not one that wasn't special. I won that was coming, like, Lindsay. One that was kind of so-so. I won Ironman Cabo in Mexico and I was, it was so ungodly hot. Like I don't even remember the last 10 K of the run and it was just pure survival. Like you weren't racing. It was just like, one foot in front of the other, just get me to the finish. And then I like just hit the deck the minute I crossed the line. So that one was kind of like, it was cool. I want an Ironman, but it was, it, yeah, I've worked every minute for that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, biggest mistake or race that you'd like to do over? Um, I don't, I mean, there's a lot of Kona's I would do over. <laughs> <laughs> 
Actually, I haven't like I haven't had any terrible races in Kona, but there's definitely some mistakes I've made in Kona that I would do over again. One mistake, one year, which is like the number one rule in Kona is like focus on yourself. And I like had perfect training going into it. And I like the minute I got on the bike, I was like focused on everyone but myself. And I, yeah, I got way caught up in everyone else's race. And in fact, actually, I stopped after the bike because I was so far back in the field and asked my coach if I could stop. And he was like, no, get running. Like, you aren't even that far back. And then I ended up running a 256 marathon that day because, like, you just release all expectations and, and ended up running myself into the top 10. But you're like, what if I hadn't like wasted five hours on the bike being like, so-and-so's up the road and so-and-so's over here and I should be here. Um, so yeah, that was a good year. And like ever since then, actually, I've never made that mistake again in Kona of like getting wrapped up in everyone else's race and realizing like particularly Kona, you're racing yourself and no one else and just trying to get the most out of yourself. So that's yeah, a good that's, um, for that's sure. good advice for pros or age group as anybody, I think, to take. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and I've had a few injuries that I definitely have been an idiot about. So if you have an injury, like don't train through it. <laughs> Cause I, bro I broke a femur doing that and that was no good. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, so wants to know your favorite race. Um, I have a lot. I would say my favorite Ironman in the U S is definitely Ironman Wisconsin. Just such a fun race. Like I talked about earlier. Um, it's hard to not say Ironman Hawaii is a favorite. I feel like Ironman Hawaii has a favorite with an asterisk next to it because it is the hardest race of all of them, even though it doesn't look that hard on paper and like it shouldn't be that hard, but it always, it's just, yeah, every time I do Kona, I love it, but I'm like, I just took 10 years off my life. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> You've done it how many times? <laughs> I know exactly 13. It's like, oh boy. Um, and then I raced Ironman Austria twice and won there twice. And it was just, again, just a super fun experience. Riding your bike in the mountains just resonates with me. Super friendly, you know, spectator friendly course. So those would be my top three. Nice. And what was your swim training like in your build to Kona last year? Oh, um, so the last, my swim training for Kona the last two years has been very similar in that. I've raced Ironman Wisconsin, finished the race, and the next day flown to Tucson and trained with Heather Jackson, who yeah. lives here in Bend, and, and we're good friends. And we have done very similar training because it's worked out well. The swim training has, has like paid off well for us the last two years, so we kind of have just repeated it. But um, again, I think it goes back to that consistency in the swimming, like we're swimming six days a week. Um, definitely probably swimming 25 to 27,000 yards per week. Mm -hmm. um, and like for non-swimmers, I'm going to speak on behalf of both Heather and I, because we are very similar that we didn't learn to swim till later. But as a non-swimmer, I just think that consistency in the pool, um, we did, you know, one day a week, we swim um, around 7K. We build up from 6K to 6.5K to 7K to even a little over 7K, but I think having that over distance swim um, was super helpful. Um, I've started doing a lot of strength work um, with Pat, like doing a lot of paddle swimming. And I think just the strength for swimming in the ocean and the choppiness of Kona is yeah. huge. Um, and then I did a lot of race simulation type swim workouts where um, particularly for the pro women and probably pro men, the start is just so important and, you know, benefit of the mass start is you have all sorts of people to pick feet to swim on. The negative of the pro head start is like, there's only 30 women and the people that know how to swim get separated so fast. And so the dynamics of the swim start in that first 400 in Kona are so important. So we did a lot of race simulation swims where we're doing, you know, eight to 10 fifties sprinting where your heart rate is like through the roof. You think you can't hold on anymore, very short rest. And then immediately you turn around and you go into like a 200 or a 400, two 200s or a 400, where again, you just think I can't go on and you somehow rally through a threshold and you do that set a few times. So 
a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into this. I would say the swim, but the benefit too of the swimming is it helps your biking and running. Like I think that the intensity in the pool carries over to the other two. Yeah, for sure. Not okay, answer, but what's that? I said not a direct answer into the specific swim training, but few ideas. <laughs> no, but I think that kind of like learning that takeout speed through like fast fifties, and then like learning to hold on through two hundred or four hundred at threshold is yeah is uh, is probably one of those key workouts that yeah. gets you ready to race, right? Yes, definitely. And I'm not a super con- like some people have the confidence gene. I am not a very confident athlete, and particularly in the swim, like my confidence comes from my training. And so swimming six days a week and doing four to five super hard swims, like I am standing a lot taller on the start line in Kona than if I am swim training, maybe like I do other parts of the year. (laughs) So if you were to drop me in a swim race right now, I would definitely be like, back row timid Lindsay but if you drop me in a swim race after a month of swimming and chasing Heather Jackson in the pool um I'm standing a lot taller and then another thing too Heather and I are complete opposite swimmers so we actually push each other perfectly Heather's a sprinter and like whenever we swim together the first 2k of the workout she crushes and I'm just like chasing for dear life and then the back half of the swim workout I'm always crushing and Heather is like holding on for dear life. So we merge well as training partners. And this is, I've just literally had an idea, which is uh, I'm going to invite Heather to join you on the Hawaii from home challenge. And then you guys can partner up and do it. Okay. <laughs> that will be, that will be fun. Right. Yep. Anyway, just let's change the plan. I don't think either of us have been crushing the swim training. So. Um, but let's change direction. Talk about food. Cause you are a marvelous foodie, right? Yes. <laughs> you have your Hazel and Blue account, uh, Instagram account, and you have written a ton of uh, recipes and like nutrition content for us on triathlete.com, uh, which is always very popular. Um, but yeah, talk to us a little bit about Hazel and Blue and where, your, where, where this comes from. Yeah, so I, um, I always grew up like around food. My parents, we always ate at home. My parents did a lot of the cooking and we always ate pretty healthy, not pretty, we ate very healthy growing up. And um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, so my mom did a lot of the cooking. So we never, like, grew up around fast food or anything like that. So I think I learned, like, the foundation of nutrition from my parents. And then in college, I studied exercise physiology, but I was super drawn to the sport nutrition concept of it. Um, And as a female, um, you know, I didn't directly deal with eating disorders, but a lot of people I was surrounded by that were athletes growing up, I saw the disordered eating and I could see even myself how it would be easy to go down that path. So yeah, I was always super passionate about nutrition and athletes. And then I've always also had this very creative component to my personality. You know, like growing up, I loved arts and crafts and things like that. And so um, I guess the food in the kitchen that came together to create a bit of like the hazel and blue. And then, um, yeah, so I created a food account basically because whenever I do question and answer sessions like this, people always ask like, what do you eat as a professional athlete? How do you fuel? And so I guess I saw this niche of like, maybe I could just share with people what it's like to eat as a professional athlete. And, you know, I do the cooking in the house and a lot of the times we're running short on time. So it's like, how do you, how do you prepare food in, in a crunch? Um, how do you use like things that you have on hand that aren't super elaborate and hard to make? And so, yeah, I guess I had all this knowledge and I wanted to share it with the world. So that's kind of, I created a food account and a webpage called Hazel and Blue. And then my husband is really into photography and his job, he manages digital media for a bunch of brands and he's starting to get more and more into food photography. And so that's where the blue part is, is Chris. His eyes are blue. And Hazel is the food, which is me, and that's my eyes. So that's Hazel and blue. And I don't know exactly what it's going to be yet, but I just know that, like, people always want to know what I eat and what it looks like. So I'm putting it out there and sharing it with people, and we'll see what direction it goes. But it's been um, – I, I started it last year, and then I stopped – and then COVID hit and it's been a good project. So when um, we talked about finding balance earlier in the conversation, you know, it was like, 
okay, you can be really down in the dumps about not racing, or you can like put that energy towards something else. And so it's been a good sort of life balance project. And sometimes I go down that path of being like too much of a triathlete. And so it's kind of a good project to like keep me diverted back to that, like tap into the creativity. And um, the other thing too, is it's a great way to interact with other people. And I'm a very social person. And so COVID hits and like, you don't have any friends anymore because you don't get to see them anymore. So it's a good way just to like interact with the triathlon and endurance community. Yeah, and sure. so many people are eating at home. Like we need to get motivated. Like we're sick of eating the same things. So the timing of it has been pretty good. Yeah, that question of what's for dinner every morning is, uh, I think, a question that people can't tolerate anymore, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of our viewers says, Lindsay makes great granola. So there you go. Oh, yes. <laughs> talk to us a little bit about what a on, a, on a big training day, talk to us about what your food would look like on a big training day. Yeah, so I'm going to go back to that word consistency that I use in my training, but I also use in my fueling. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think that that has is what has enabled me to have had such success as an Ironman athlete. Um, there's obviously consistency with your fueling throughout the day um, in training, but then there's also this component of consistency and fueling in the race. So I'll save that for another subject, but I think this concept of consistency is um, yields great results. So if I'm fueling for a big day, I will get up in the morning and first thing I do is have a um, whey protein shake because I try to get in, I tend to be a leaner athlete and I need muscle. <laughs> um, I, it's, it's sometimes it's even hard for me like when I am training big hours to keep weight on. So first thing in the morning is I'll have a whey protein shake with about 20 grams of protein in it. Um, and then usually I'll have like a toast or a cliff bar and go to the pool um, and swim. And the swim session's pretty early. So it's not like you want to have a big meal beforehand or anything. And then immediately after I swim, uh, I go for a recovery drink, the cliff bar recovery drink. And it's kind of dorky to be like that person that's like shaking up the recovery bottle on the way out of the pool. But I totally do it and just own it. <laughs> but when you're, yeah, but when you're training big hours, like it's all about like, not only are you fueling for the workout you just did and the next workout, but it's, if it's Tuesday, you still have to be concerned about Thursday. And if you get behind on calories earlier in the week, you're going to pay for it for the, on that tempo run later in the week. So we have a recovery drink. Um, usually I'll eat a piece of fruit too on the way home, on the drive home from the pool. And then um, I'll have breakfast when I get home, which is usually always three eggs. I mix up how I cook them, but three eggs and um, a bunch of veggies. Usually, sometimes I'll saute the veggies. Sometimes it'll just be like a, a salad, just depends. But usually it involves like spinach or something. And um, one or two pieces of toast, peanut butter, jelly, uh, coffee. And then I send some emails and do some admin work, and then I start kind of my main session of the day around 10, 9 or 10. And it depends, like, if it's a key run day or a key bike day, whatever the key is, the key workout is, that's what I do first. And um, I'm fueling throughout the session using Cliff Bar products. I've been a Cliff Bar athlete but also fan for years. So um, I fuel very consistently. If I'm in a big training block, like, I don't do any crazy, like, fasted workouts or things like that. Like I just try to fuel like on the hour, every hour, if it's like a five hour ride or something like that. Yep. And usually it's summer when I'm doing the big training. So a lot of um, hydration throughout the workout as well. And then um, if let's say it, it was a big bike day, finish the ride. Sometimes I'll run off the bike. If I don't run off the bike, then um, I'll make a recovery shake with um usually like Greek yogurt, almond milk or regular milk, um, frozen berries, recovery drink, and take that in. And then once I've like showered and cooled off a bit, then I'll have a proper meal of like a sandwich or leftovers. Um, and then I usually do an afternoon session. And so I'll have a snack before that. And then um, usually a snack after that. And then we move <laughs> straight into dinner. So yeah, it's pretty much just like eat, workout, eat, workout, eat, workout, eat, workout. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that people at home maybe re realize just how much food is involved with a full day of training yeah. as a pro, right? 
Yeah, leftovers are like people that don't like leftovers. I don't, I don't get them because I definitely am like bring on the leftovers late afternoon or if I can't decide what to eat. But yeah, definitely that's one thing that I've changed as, as an athlete is the amount of calories that I bring on board. Um, not necessarily during training, but um, like I used to only eat two eggs. Now I eat three eggs. Used to only eat one piece of toast. Now I eat two pieces of toast. Um, you know tons of fruits and vegetables that's been another thing is i've definitely increased my fruit and vegetable intake and another i used to be a vegetarian i was a vegetarian for 20 years and i eat wow. again. um so yeah so i've had definitely some adventures in nutrition over the past few years yeah super interesting yeah. okay so we have just over 10 minutes uh left the show so don't be shy keep asking your questions and we will put them to lindsay over the next uh, 10 minutes but yeah, next question we have for you, Lindsay, is uh, what are you thinking during the run in a race? We know that you're not thinking about other people now. No. Okay, this is a new development in the last five years or so, but I have become a counter while I run. Oh. I never used to be like a counter, and this is not coinciding with the like, don't think about other people, but the marathon, and I'm going to talk particularly about Ironman racing, but I actually use the same concept for a half Ironman too, but it's such a long ways to go. And I don't know anyone that like gets off the bike and is in transition thinking like, I feel really good. I'm going to go crush a marathon right now. Like, I don't even think Brittany food thinks that. And she's like an amazing runner. I think everyone is just like, let me get through this first mile and then I'm going to reevaluate. And then you get to the next mile and then you reevaluate. And so I have turned into someone that counts while I run basically as a method to like break the marathon down into small segments. And then it coincides with my nutrition plan in that I eat um, the shot blocks by Cliff and it has uh, six blocks in a sleeve and I eat one block every 10 minutes. So that is essentially one sleeve is one hour wow. fuel and if you're trying to run a three-hour marathon which is generally my plan i need three sleeves of blocks and so i count one block and i'll just count one 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 which is crazy but it um instills rhythm and it takes my head off of like what i what what's actually happening and you're very focused on like in the moment and being present which i think yields incredible results and then after the first block, you're 10 minutes in, and then you get to 20 minutes, and you count one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Again, this like helps with the rhythm. And then 20 to 30 minutes, we're counting one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. So if you see me in Kona, you can just like start shouting numbers at me, and you'll be like, <laughs> I'm gonna throw her off her track. <laughs> but yeah, um, so honestly, what I'm thinking during the marathon is like, 10 minute sections. Let's run like 10 minutes as best as you possibly can. Let's have like, and even like I'll break it down to like focus like this 10 minutes, I'm focusing on my cadence. And the next 10 minutes, I'm focusing on like leaning forward and keeping myself in front of my hips. And the third 10 minutes, I'm focusing on like how awesome this is, you know? So like, yeah, for me, it's just a series of 10 minute races. Yeah, very cool. And then before you know it, like you're at mile 24 and you're like, I did this. <laughs> no but i think that um ability to stay present and stay in the moment versus as you were talking about earlier thinking about what ex you know who who's where who's up the road who's down the road all the rest of it um that ability to stay present and in in what you're doing is advice that everybody needs to needs to listen to i think and it's a total diversion tactic and i heard an interview with another athlete that was a counter I don't even remember who it was. Maybe it was like Andy Potts. And I'm like, this person's off their rocker. How can you be a counter? And then I did, and I was in an Ironman and I was like going down that path of like, what am I doing out here? This is terrible. And it was like, let's just try it. I'm just going to start counting to like take my mind off of the incredible amount of pain I'm in right now. And then before I know it, I was like, this is kind of fun. I like it. So, so you first tried it in a race. Yeah. That's wow, how I okay. do it. And it was like, basically like, I knew I had six blocks I had to get through. And like, I definitely have refined the counting. I don't even remember like how I did it the first time, but yeah, basically I was in a race and it was like, Oh, this is hard. This hurts. What am I doing? And it was like, I heard this on a podcast or an interview. Let's just try it. If it works for them, maybe it'll work for me. 
And like, I, I don't know, I haven't run that many marathons that are under or over 305. So knock on wood that I didn't just like, jinx myself, but it works for me. <laughs> so I hope I, I hear somebody tell me this story that like, I heard Lindsay Corbin counting. And so I started counting maybe. There you we'll go. It's going to happen. <laughs> so yeah, you've obviously been in the sport for a while. Um, how have you seen the sport change in the time that you've been involved in triathlon? Oh man, I am fortunate that I have seen the entire women's movement of sport and like the vast amount that we have improved. And so that's been pretty awesome to like literally have a front seat to all of it. Um, when I first did Kona McKeeley Jones one, and then, wow. Yeah, that was my first Kona and Des Picker was second. And it was just like, these girls are everything. And I went 10.05 in my first Ironman in Coeur d'Alene to qualify for Kona. So like 10.05 is a female pro qualified for Kona. And what, like last year I went 9.10 Ironman Wisconsin to qualify for Kona. <laughs> so we've gotten a lot faster. And I think that that like, um, I, that's been the biggest change I've seen probably is just that the women have gotten faster and the fields have gotten um, deeper and then more condensed. Like I think in Kona, maybe 15 to 20 minutes separates the mere mortals. So not counting Daniela <laughs> for or Lucy, but like most of the top 10 is separated by 15 minutes max, which yeah. is like, that's nothing when you look back on the race and think like of small areas where you can improve. Whereas like it used to span an hour between when first place finished and 10th place. Um, so yeah, so I saw Chrissy come through and now we've got Daniela and Lucy and all these incredible other women. But I think um, we have all pushed each other as female athletes of like what's possible. So that's been huge. And then um, social media was like not even a thing at all when I started racing and um, to see like how that has um, changed both the realm of like athletes and how we interact with each other and comparison and um sports marketing i mean the list could go on and on so to um see how that's gone like from nothing to like now being a huge part of being an athlete um has been pretty cool too but those would be like my big things yeah yeah that that's significant and looking ahead to next year, what, uh, what do you think next year will look like? What, what, what do you want it to look like for you, you know, race-wise, triathlon-wise? Have you got as far as planning anything yet? I haven't planned anything. And I'm almost a bit hesitant. Like, I feel like in general, a lot of us are like, oh, January 1st is going to hit and this is going to be like back to normal. Like, you know, I'm going to take my off season and then January one, we're going to like get back into the gym and the pool. And then we're going to train for March and April races. And I would love for that to happen, but I am, I guess a bit like holding it all at arm's length um, and not setting anything in stone. Um, I don't know. It sucks to like end up heartbroken. So I would hate to be like Ironman South Africa. Like that's happening for me next April. And I am focused on that right now because like, if it doesn't happen, then it's just like, I just get super bummed out. So for me personally, um, I am living in the present and dealing with the parameters we're in right now and kind of readjusting as we go. But um, I, yeah, I haven't thought much ahead. I mean, I would love obviously for there to be racing and to travel the world. And I am on the older spectrum of being a professional athlete. And so, you know, there's nothing more than I want to like hit some bucket list races before I retire. Um, so I'm still dreaming big, but um, I guess hesitantly cautious. And it's, um, I am definitely adaptable. So if there's not going to be triathlons in the early part of next year, I'm going to pick some other athletic endeavors. I just don't know what they are yet. Yeah. We're still, we're too soon. We got to get through the elections, <laughs> which we won't yes. talk about <laughs> next. Yeah. We'll skip that part. Um, what about, so final question for you, Lindsay, what about the culture of triathletes would you like to change? Oh, um, I saw this come through as soon as I put it on um, Instagram live last night, but um, I think I love triathlon and I think the people that do triathlon are amazing, but I think it's a very inclusive sport and can sometimes feel a bit clicky. Like, 
even within the pro ranks, I see the like, I see the, the clicks and um, yeah, I would like to make it where it's more accessible to everyone. Um, it's obviously a, a sport that a lot of privileged people get to be a part of because it's an expensive sport. You know, you need a lot more gear than say just running shoes. But, um, you know, my eyes have been open to like these gravel races and these trail runs and everyone you talk to is like, it's such more a laid back vibe. And <laughs> triathlon used to be that way. So I think, you know, change is good. And we're seeing a lot of change this year and how the sport is and hopefully, you know, maybe we're going to start to see more of these grassroots events come back and, you know, people doing triathlon for the love of adventure and not just the like, so they can stand around the water cooler on Monday and say, you know, the bragging rights. And um, yeah, so I guess as far as like the whole culture goes, I would just like to see it more accessible to all walks of life, whether that's ethnicities or financial backgrounds or where you come from, because for me personally, I know how much triathlon is given to me. And I think the lessons like I have learned are applicable in so many ways, other ways of life. And if people can experience and learn the things that I have, then we're all going to be better for it. And so, yeah, I guess that I would love for those things to be happen, but like to talk the talk and then walk the walk and make it happen is that's the big barrier. And so how do you um, break that down? And I mean, I definitely have like put some thought into it this year because I have had to like get back to the basics of like, you know, why do you do this? And um, so, yeah, a little, a deep, deep thought or answer to end it on. Perfect way to, perfect way to close the show. But yeah, no, so that's all we've got time for today, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being such a great guest and uh, giving so much of your experience. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. And yeah, so if you want to find out more about Lindsay, you can go buy the latest issue of our magazine. And you can also follow her on Instagram at uh, Lindsay Corbin and uh, Hazel and Blue. And we'll be waiting to see how you do with Hawaii from home, of course, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to enter the Hawaii from home food challenge. <laughs> oh, Hawaii from home food challenge. Okay. Right. We'll be talking to you about that offline. But yeah. Uh, no, but thanks very much, Lindsay. We really appreciate your time. And thanks Absolutely for being such a great guest. Questions. Thank you, Lindsay, for joining us on this month's Triathlete Live. For your chance to ask pros, coaches, and experts any questions you may have, keep an eye on our social channels for details of our next show so you can join us. Until then, see you next time.